and welcome to the third episode of Little Miss Media. We're your hosts, Brianna. And I'm Melissa. And in this episode, we will be discussing the concept of the male gaze and why this is especially prominent in the media. However, did you know that there's also such a thing as the female gaze? How does it differ from the male gaze? And does one bring more harm than the other? Stay tuned. Firstly, I think it's really important that we establish exactly what the male gaze is. Just a little brief history. In 1975, British feminist film theorist Laura Mulvey was the first to, to oh, sorry was the first to come up with the theory of the male gaze in her essay Visual Pleasure and Narrative Cinema. She explains that in a nutshell, within the film industry, the male gaze theory comes into effect when cinematography is basically made to please the eyes of a heterosexual man, sexually objectifying women in the media and hence empowering men while diminishing women. Right, so Mulvey's theory really takes into account a lot of Sigmund Freud's theories, specifically the theory of sociophilia. So that's when you gain pleasure by subjecting others to an objectifying voyeuristic gaze. And cinema really does promote voyeurism. And Mulvey talks about how cinema can be associated with three different gazes or looks. So that of the camera as it films the events, that of the audience as it watches the final products, and that of the characters who are in the actual screen. And these looks kind of come together in order to create an environment in which the viewer does not feel like an intruder and actually feels connected to the film. I'm sure we can all think of a lot of examples of the male gaze in films and mm. unfortunately this is something we have grown accustomed to ever since we were little kids it's being shown so much on our tvs and in the cinemas i guess it just goes to show how important the male gaze is in the industry itself yeah and totally Exactly. And you can almost always assure that there will always be that one slow panning shot whereby the camera lens is acting <laughs> as the eyes of, you know, what we said earlier, the heterosexual man. That's so true. It's really important to discuss camera work and direction because, yeah, as you just said, that literally encourages the audience to look a certain direction. It encourages the audience to take the role of the voyeur. And when the camera, as you said, pans slowly down a woman's curves and focuses on her behind as she walks, we as the viewer are literally given permission to stare. We can't even look anywhere else because that's the main focus. (laughs) And yeah, so the camera work is telling us, oh, this is a sexy woman. We should ogle her. Even a person who isn't attracted to women will get the point that this woman is a sexualized object for the audience to enjoy and to stare at sometimes it doesn't even matter what kind of role she has Mm. she's always going to be introduced with her body (laughs) the first time she's shown on screen and that's just really upsetting I'm sure we have all seen the scene on YouTube the eyes of Michaela scene from the 2007 film Transformers 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hate Transformers. Right? I grew up watching yeah. shows and that. And then I watched the movie as a kid. Now I remember even as a kid, I was just like, what is this? Why is it so boring? <laughs> How do you make exploding cars and car monsters boring? In this scene in particular, Megan Fox was the subject of the male gaze. So we have a character, Michaela, and mm. her male counterpart, Sam. The camera is often placed in level with the eyes of her male counterpart, bringing the audience's attention to Michaela's body. So especially that scene whereby Fox's abdomen was pretty much heavily emphasized in yeah. the foreground. And it's not just the camera work that played into the male gaze. So we had Megan Fox dressed in a tight orange crop top and shorts that were barely covering her legs. No dialogue was really exchanged between the two characters as well. And it just really stresses the fact that Sam's attraction or our first impression of Michaela was basically her body and mm. nothing else and her beauty. That is definitely something that is not just in Transformers 2007, but, you know, you had Suicide Squad as well. Yeah. With Holly Quinn. I don't know if you've seen that scene. I'm pretty sure you might have. Yeah, yeah, the one where she's getting dressed right in front of everyone. <laughs> <laughs> basically, yeah. Yeah, that scene is basically a prime example of the male gaze. For no reason, Harley Quinn starts stripping in front of all the soldiers. The camera starts slowly panning up of when she's getting dressed and she's barely wearing anything. Even when she gets changed, it's basically shorts that are barely covering her legs, a tight-fitting crop top. Then we look at the male superheroes in that scene. Mm -hmm. We basically cut to them being fully dressed in their uniforms and their mm -hmm. superhero suits. How come we don't get a slow strip tease of Will mm -hmm. Smith as he gets changed? <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, why exactly. is there a double standard here? Mm -hmm. Another thing I'd like to add to that as well was that we had several shots of the men picking up various weapons that would be useful to them. Whereas Harley Quinn, yeah, there were scenes of her picking up weapons as well, but mainly close-ups of her picking up a belt that said pudding, basically showing that she was, you know, under another man's possession. And then a scene that stressed her body, basically. So it's mainly like we, we see her being shown in a whole different light compared to the other men. So that was... That was something. <laughs> so, fun fact. Did you know that there's a butt shot in High School Musical 3? Can you guess who it is? Is it Sharpay? Oh, who's it? <laughs> <laughs> Kids movie. Why is there a butt I shot? I watched it a week ago and I just remembered. I was like, wait, why am I looking at Sharpay's butt? I don't remember this at all. <laughs> no, neither. Like, I was watching a, just a YouTube compilation of the male gaze and there are these, like, videos and they're, like, clearly adult movies movies that are based for adults and all of a sudden I see Sharpay Evans and I was like, what is she doing here? This is an outlier. <laughs> like, <laughs> The demographic <laughs> is definitely children. <laughs> Why is that necessary? Yeah, because apparently that's the only way you can sell things nowadays, right? By sexualizing a character, etc. And especially with the male gaze. And I think that this really comes across in, you know, the K-pop stages nowadays, especially with the way camera angles are often pretty low, or they would just focus on women's parts. I don't know if that's something that you have personally noticed yourself. With my limited knowledge of K-pop and the stages <laughs> I've watched, I would say I have noticed that there'll often be like a pan of the girl's, you know, body. 
and it'll sort of like end towards her lower lower regions yeah it focuses on their features Mm. one thing I have noticed is a lot of the girls wear a little bit more revealing sort of clothes Mm -hmm. when compared to their male counterparts who often just wear like a shirt and Mm -hmm. pants and that's normal but a lot of the girls wear very form-fitting sort of clothes or dresses Mm -hmm. which is okay but it's just like why why is there sort of a double standard in compared to Mm -hmm. how they dress Mm-hmm. This becomes especially prominent during winter performances, actually, from what I've noticed or through the comments that I've been scrolling through over the past years. During winter performances, male counterparts are often given outfits that have jackets and long trousers, whereas girls often have to wear short skirts and a thin layer of long shirts as well. And they're obviously freezing on stage, but you know hey anything for the male gaze (laughs) on the stage as well and it often becomes an issue when their skirts or shorts are too short to the point where even their safety shots can be fully seen on stage and oftentimes you can see that some of these female idols being a little bit uncomfortable with their outfits or yeah it's just sometimes a little bit upsetting to see that this is an issue when it comes to you know k-pop stages So one of the bands I knew was Nine Muses. When they were scouted, all the members, they talked about how they were looking for a supermodel feel. They wanted these girls to look like supermodels. There was a documentary and like the CEO or a higher up in the company was looking at concept images of the girls. And he was like, no, these outfits aren't sexy enough. And he kept like circling bits. He's like, no, you have to make this more like a bit more revealing and everything like these girls were really dolled up for the male gaze that was their attraction Mm -hmm. and they were gorgeous girls and I just feel really sad that instead of being sort of appreciated for their talent Mm -hmm. the higher-ups were more concerned about how sexy can we make these girls how can we make Mm -hmm. these girls more revealing how can we make men more interested in that Mm -hmm. it's interesting that you brought that up because it made me think of the disbanded female k-pop group called Stella I'm not sure if you've heard of them before but they became a topic of heated discussion over the recent years as many fans are basically arguing the same thing that you've brought up Brianna about whether or not their company was selling their music or them for their bodies and just basically over sexualizing them I remember a couple of years ago when they brought up a point that there was a shot of one of the girls drinking a bottle of milk rather provocatively because the director told her to drink it as messily as possible in the music video for Marionette. And she didn't understand what it meant when she was filming it. But apparently after she found out, she became a little bit traumatized and couldn't really drink milk for a while, apparently so. And mm. that was just really upsetting. So yeah. yeah, it's not just the camera work, but women in media, they're often just set up or dolled up to fit the male gaze. So your point about how often in K-pop we can see a glimpse of their safety shorts, right? Mm-hmm. This is actually also a thing that is in anime and is connected to something we call fan service, which we will get into a bit later. Mm-hmm. But basically... People, when they see a flash of safety shorts or a bra, that is voyeuristic in nature because your mind wasn't ready for it, but then you see it and it invites your mind to wonder, to desires. And 
when we say voyeurism, it's a part of that is you're gazing on someone who is not reciprocating that gaze. And then the audience isn't allowed to think about sort of lewd things. That's the connection there. And you see it a lot in anime. And you see it in K-pop too, I suppose, as you're talking about with these very short skirts. You can also see this often in close-up shots with body parts of girls drawn with abnormal proportions. And one thing I could think of right now is the typical anime scene of the girl's chest <laughs> running so for some reason we're not gonna uh, see her like running with her legs or something we're just focused on her chest mm-hmm. <laughs> and literally after that scene no matter what she's talking about to the, her peers etc everyone's just gonna be looking at her chest because that's all we're gonna be thinking about that was it literally fills the whole screen and it doesn't help that often the voice actresses are made to make rather pg-18 noises while these scenes are basically taking up the entirety of my screen <laughs> <laughs> i can currently think of a one pretty recent anime called fire force apparently i have not seen this fully yet but apparently one of the characters always always has to get her clo- herself close to naked almost all the time just for the sake of fan service. So I've talked to a lot of fanboys and fangirls and they complained about how much this really disrupts the flow of the fight scenes. But you know, it got me thinking, how media companies are basically prioritizing the sexualization of a woman, no matter what. It doesn't even matter if it's not to do with the storyline or if it's gonna disrupt the flow of the scenes or the pace, etc. We need to have that sexualized shot for the male gaze, and in this case, the heterosexual male otaku viewers. That's why I couldn't watch Kill the Kill, even though everyone was like, that's so good. They're like armor. Their transformation was just like so skimpy. Their boobs were just like out. (laughs) And I was like, I can't. Like, I Mm -hmm. this is a fight scene. I think Mm -hmm. that like uniform was part of the law. But at the same time, this is fiction. Someone chose to write that, even if you can, like, justify it through the the lore of the story. Someone still made an active choice. The author still decided, no, my girls are going to wear these, like, (laughs) bikinis and fight. Yes, even if you then say, oh, the story says that it's because of this. Well, someone still had to sit there and go, I want my story to say the girls have to wear this. You get what I mean? There's still an issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like someone has had to draw that that mm-hmm. particular scene and get that animated. And one thing I can think of right now is the anime Code Geass. So it's it's kind of like a mecha anime. It's just all about like fighting, etc. But you often have them sitting in a weird position in their robots. But when we see the male characters sit they sit rather normally but for the girls we often get a shot from the back so we often see her back kind of like arched it's heavily focused on her legs as well and her butt etc and that was something that I took notice of because I was like so why are we getting a different angle for the female characters but for the male characters it's all good like they're all powerful they're the mastermind of this entire war etc but for females we're just like oh okay she's fighting she's smart but wow look at that angle (laughs) yeah every anime i've ever watched has a beach episode and basically the point of a beach episode or it could be a hot spring episode or a water park episode that's not (laughs) the point the point is it's an excuse to show all the characters in swimsuits or bikinis and most of the time it just disrupts the plot of the show it's just a filler episode 
purely for fan service, purely so that people can look at these their favorite character in a bikini and be like, "Ooh, cute." <laughs> Oh, cute. <laughs> I'm sure I just very much censored what they're thinking. Yeah, that's what I was thinking as well. I'm like, I think cute is not exactly the word that these companies are looking for. <laughs> so speaking of the beach episode, there is an extremely famous, internationally famous J-pop group called AKB48. And they were famous for releasing summer bikini singles where they'd get all the girls to wear bikinis and film a music video wearing bikinis or swimwear and they mostly have a male otaku sort of fan base (laughs) and a lot of these girls are young they're under 20 they're under 19 and it just rubs me a little bit the wrong way we just have these girls in swimsuits for no particular reason but I get a bit uncomfortable when these girls are underage and visually a lot of them have that childlike aesthetic that is popular Mm -hmm, amongst those sort of female idols. I don't Mm -hmm. think recently they've done any of those bikini singles. They've sort of phased them out because there was starting to be a bit of uproar against it. But that was the norm for ages since the beginning of when they started. People would look forward to the bikini single. So we've talked about examples of the male gaze. And now we have to ask ourselves, why is the male gaze actually a thing? So Mm. Mel, what do you think? The first thing that comes to mind is that the film industry is a male-dominated industry. We can't deny that. So most films and shows that are filmed, written, directed, etc. are by men who Mm. want to cater to the heterosexual audience. And I feel like that that is a crucial factor as to why the male gaze is a huge thing in almost every single media outlet out there. What do you think, Brianna? Yeah, well, a big component of the male gaze, and this kind of is linked back to Sigmund Freud's theory of narcissism and the mirror self, is identification with the gazer or the looker, so the male protagonist. Yeah, so a lot of men when they're watching because they can relate to the male hero. And especially if the male hero is presented as someone who is sort of down to earth, but also better than the man. So he wants to be the male hero because the male hero in his mind is like him, but almost a bit of a better version. Inevitably, the male audience's gaze will sort of connect and join with the gaze of the male character on the screen. And that means they can relate to them. That means that they want what they want. When the sexy female character is introduced as a spectacle and the male protagonist gets to have her, well, then it's almost like the male audience is like, wow, I'm feeling that as well. I get to objectify this woman as well. I get her as well. If nerdy, relatable, down-to-earth Sam can get Mm -hmm. sexy girl Megan Fox, Mm -hmm. then wow, so can I. I deserve that too. They want the male audience because the male audience is seen as more lucrative. Most studios feel that regardless of what they produce, women will still watch it. Whereas men are less likely to watch a film that is from a female perspective, which is why we call female driven movies chick flicks. So you brought up something incredibly interesting earlier, Brie, whereby the male would think, well, if 
relatable Sam could get that gold and I could. And I deserve this. What kind of issues could this lead to society in real life? The issues behind a male gaze and how does this really affect the psyche of some men? Because my biggest concern is that whether or not the male gaze in the media or certain films has conditioned men in society to behave or think a certain way around women, especially because the male gaze essentially works to dehumanize female characters and position them as simply an object of heterosexual male desire, an eye candy or just a simple companion almost of sort. Well, I think there are some real world examples, not Mm. even in the realm of theater or film or TV that we can think of. Catcalling, for one, when Mm. women walk past a random man who's just staring at them and then he starts leering at them and heckling them and saying inappropriate comments to them, Is that not a clear example of the male gaze and seeing a woman Mm. as a sexualized object for them to enjoy and them to Mm. leer at? I think a lot of girls won't mind if someone comes up to them and is very respectful and says a a nice genuine compliment. But when someone is yelling at you from across the street (laughs) saying hypersexualized things to you and you have no idea who they are and they don't know anything about your personality or you as a person, so it's obviously just physical in nature Mm -hmm. you do feel objectified and I just find it really interesting because you know how we've mentioned that camera work often pans from head to toe Mm. um, from the body of the female characters well they're kind of basically acting as the eyes of some men in real life where they would literally just scan you head to toe right in front of your face as if they were watching a movie Mm -hmm. unfold before them Aside from that, I think that it's not just the male psyche that would be heavily influenced by the male gaze, but I think overall in any gender. So recently, my friends and I watched Marvel's latest movie, Black Widow. And I remember everyone talking about how shocked they were. Spoiler alert, please don't listen to this. <laughs> the, the taskmaster in the movie was a female named Antonia. She was wearing an outfit fit for war so you know an outfit that's incredibly bulky great for protection she isn't gonna die from a a bullet shot or something like that but it just goes to show how used we are to seeing women even in action movies where they're supposed to be fighting for their lives wear tight-fitting outfits that show off their figure to accentuate their femininity and also have a pretty and near perfect appearance Because apparently outfits like that is something that only men wear, but not necessarily women. And even Scarlett Johansson, the actress for Black Widow, Natasha Romanoff, in almost every interview I've seen of her thus far, there will almost always be a question about her outfit. Out of every other questions the interviewers could ask her, whether or not she manages to wear undergarments under her tight latex Black Widow outfit. And even as a female myself, Seeing a female character dressed in something that isn't tight-fitting or latex in an action movie is something I am just not personally used to. Mm. I mean, yeah, as a kid in 2004, the first, arguably the first female superhero, I guess, I've seen was Catwoman. You know, the one starring Hailey Bailey. I mean, she's Mm. literally not wearing anything, to be honest. And that was already a very sexy suit in the comics, but it was still full coverage. 
And then in the movie, they were just like two piece bikini. Like, yeah. It's like, how do you sexualize an already very sexy thing? <laughs> yeah. This isn't just something that is in movies and TV, it's also in comics, any visual sort of medium. The male gaze is present. And in the comics, many women, especially female superheroes, are very sexualized. They're put in poses that oftentimes are not physically possible. Mm-hmm. Their anatomy, like their waists and their breasts and their bum and their hips will be distorted to a point where physically a person couldn't look like that. Where would their guts go, you know? And <laughs> Literally. Literally. <Yeah>. Literally. <laughs> I can think of characters like Power Girl who is a great superhero, but she wears like basically a leotard and it has this massive boob window. For no reason. Mm-hmm. The original Miss Marvel used to just wear a leotard. She didn't have any pants or anything. They really changed up her outfit for the movie. So there was this initiative that was created by fans and critics called the Hawkeye Initiative. So basically what they would do is for every cover or panel of a female superhero where they were put in a position that was very sexualized or Mm -hmm. dressed funny or they have their hips out and their chest pushed forwards and you know Mm -hmm. how they're drawn Mm -hmm. they would replace that image with an image of Hawkeye in that exact same pose and if he looked normal it would pass the test but if he looked absolutely ridiculous in this pose that they would normally put a superhero who was a girl in then it wouldn't pass the test it was sort of it was comedic but it did show that how come the men aren't put in these super provocative positions right. that the female superheroes are put in so if anyone wants to check that out, I'm pretty sure it's also online. The Hawkeye Initiative really kind of opens your eyes as to how women are shown in the comic book industry. Well, I'm highly intrigued. I will definitely check that out once Please I'm do. done. Please <laughs> do. It's so today. funny. <laughs> wow. Another thing that I'd like to add is something we've alluded to in our first episode of Little Miss Media is the potential or the possibility of watching these films under the lens of the, of the male gaze and how this would affect women's psyche overall because, I mean, they're highlighting perfect bodies on screen, etc. I would reckon that it would reduce some of their body confidence, self-esteem, and they would try to maybe consciously or even times un- subconsciously make themselves look better with the male gaze in mind because that it's just something that we've basically seen almost every day every moment of time when the tv is on etc or like you've mentioned comics it's Mm. literally everywhere so i would say that a lot of women do want male validation right Mm -hmm. and a lot of women will dress for the male gaze or act for the male gaze and that's okay i do want to say that it's important to note that it's okay to want people to find you sexy. It's okay to want to be attractive. We have to, though, acknowledge the difference between someone finding you sexy versus someone seeing you purely as a sexual object, Mm -hmm. right? If someone finds you attractive, that's fine. That's good. (laughs) But they should still see you as a person, as something other than just your physical appearance. But it becomes an issue when someone just sees you as an object for sex as an object to look at to ogle at 
and then doesn't respect you for your mind and for your opinions and for everything else. It's normal to want to be attractive in line with a male gaze. It's normal to find a girl attractive as well. And, you know, it's something that's just natural. But like what Brianna said, there is a line. There must be a line between finding someone attractive and wanting to be attractive or finding someone attractive as an object Mm. or basically maybe as well kind of voluntarily objectifying yourself or dehumanizing yourself just for the sake of attractiveness so there's that line that should be carefully kept in mind so is there a female gaze well there's actually a lot of debate over whether or not the female gaze exists and if it does how should we interpret it Well, perhaps we could see it as simply a reverse of the male gaze in that it is the objectification of men. Or maybe it is a film from a female perspective with the female transforming from the sexualized spectacle to an active protagonist. So in this way, the women's desires are shown in film instead of just purely male desires. And for a lot of people, the female gaze is sort of associated with being less voyeuristic. What do you think about that, Mel? I do agree that a female gaze can also be seen as an opposite of the male gaze, whereby I have seen a couple of like, you know, slightly sexualized gaze. However, an article by Vulture in 2018 wrote something that I also took notice of is that the female gaze is oftentimes something that is more emotional and intimate. So it doesn't really seek to dehumanize people, as we've mentioned earlier with the stereotypical meaning of what the male gaze literally is, but it seeks to see people as people, Mm. generally the opposite of objectification. And I can just once again think about anime because apparently (laughs) that's my personality at this point. (laughs) But animes proved this Vulture article right, in my opinion, with several animes such as Kamisama Kiss, Kaitsuwa, Maidsama. You have guys who are absolutely sweet, smart, loving, perfect, but also really handsome. It's not just about objectification. It's not just about the way they look, but it's also more so to empathy towards the way they treat their girlfriends, etc. in a loving and sweet way. They're basically perfect inside and out. Yeah, the focus is not just on the physical aspect. However, seeing close to naked girls is not the only trope in anime. To be fair, I also have to admit that there are female gazes that involve a lot of male of fan service. So for example, Free, Brie, I'm pretty sure you've watched it. I Stop. Have- <laughs> Don't bring me into this. <laughs> I have to admit, there really isn't that much of a plot <laughs> with Free, except for seeing episodes upon episodes of Shirtless Guys. I mean, there is a plot. It is very emotional. It's about teamwork. But we have to admit, the first thing we see is just, ooh, he's very attractive and very ikemen. <laughs> ikemen being handsome guys with a sharp jaws, lean, slender body, tall, and a great personality. So I like to say that the female gaze in this case really just overall ties in the physical and the internal aspects as I mentioned earlier yeah (laughs) (laughs) so funny (laughs) thanks for coming to my TED talk about anime (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, okay. Most of the time when we watch a film that comes mm-hmm. from a female perspective, it's in a chick flick movie, which we mentioned a little earlier. And most of these movies have sort of a relatable, down-to-earth protagonist who is female and actively controls their own stories. And these films are meant to represent the desires of the female protagonist and therefore, part and parcel, represent the desires and the views of the female audience member. And a lot of the romantic subplots I've noticed in these films are not hypersexual. Some are, but... I can think of classic chick flicks such as 27 Dresses, Mamma Mia, Clueless, Legally Blonde, Mm. Pride and Prejudice, one. Mm. Often in these sort of rom-coms, the male love interests are less superhero, hyper-masculine, buff, muscly, you know, Rambo sort of guys and more Mm. sensitive, gentlemanly sort of characters. Mm. You know, your sort of Prince Charmings, your Edward Cullens, your Mr. Mm -hmm. Darcy's. Mr. Darcy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I just think maybe that sort of shows a difference where women in male gaze-oriented films seem to be just sexual beings. They're really just there for their body. It seems as if the men, the male love interests in rom-coms, are sort of presented in a different way they're still active they're still most of the time pretty big in the movie and they have an active role in the movie and they're not just there to be objectified they're there to woo the woman in a way that is more sensitive and I guess that a lot of women like considering that the romance genre is the biggest genre <laughs> of many films and books and is mm-hmm. consumed largely only by women I'm that- a consumer yeah take that statistic how you want but it just shows that these films are different and they're movies where the females are multi-dimensional yes most of these female protagonists are very beautiful but that's not the only thing about them they have depth and the same goes for their male love interests yes they're handsome but a lot of them have depth and character growth Mm -hmm. so we can kind of ask though then how does this differ from the male gaze These men are handsome. They're the love interests. Well, aren't they objectified? According to Malvi, and this is her view, that because of the principles of the ruling patriarchy and the physical structures that back it up, the male figure, so the man, cannot bear the burden of sexual objectification. Man is reluctant to gaze at his objectified form. So that's why we call movies that are focused on a female perspective and maybe have more, I guess, men in objectifying scenes, a chick flick. Because Mm -hmm. as we know, the stereotype is that men don't want to watch chick flicks. Yeah. And yeah, so chick flicks are primarily only watched by women. While Mm -hmm. women will still watch male gaze-oriented movies, like superhero movies, any male gaze movie, because that's just normal cinema. It's not called yeah. a male movie. It's just cinema. Right? But <laughs> male women, movie. yeah, male movie, but female oriented movies are called chick flicks. Mm. Have you noticed that? <laughs> yeah. There's that, there's, it's not segregation, but there's that division between like, hey, so we have a male movie, but that's a normal movie. But if you're watching something that's romantic, et cetera, that's a chick flick. Yeah. That's right. Mainly for women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm hmm. You know, Magic Mike, he's often brought up as the argument, the counter argument. Yeah. Like, surely he's objectified, right? 
Definitely. It's a movie about a male stripper. Of course, he's going to yeah. be like in scenes where he's stripping and sexy and whatnot. Yeah. But to counter that, Mike is the main character. He's still active in his story. He's not just there to be ogled at. Him and his friends control the story. And I have to note, the movie is directed and written by men. It wasn't just made by females. And remember how we talked about in the beginning, the male gaze comprises of three gazes. The characters mm-hmm. in the story, the people who direct and film it, and the people who mm-hmm. are watching. Mm-hmm. So it's still very male oriented. It's not like Magic Mike just comes in for a stripping scene. No, yeah. it's all from his perspective. He's yeah. still active. He's not yeah. just objectified. He's not just an object. He's still multidimensional. He still has depth to him. And he's not just there for eye candy. Like many of the women or female characters that we've mentioned earlier on in the episode. So I totally agree with you on that and how Magic Mike is still a male gaze. It's not something you think that would be a male gaze. But it is, actually, when you think about it, like you've mentioned. So, yeah. And another thing, another counter-argument that we often think, okay, this must be female gaze, is the buff superhero, the super muscly Chris Evans. Yeah, a lot of men in superhero movies, Marvel movies, are shown as shirtless and super buff. But remember when we talked about how the male audience identifies with the male protagonist? Yeah. So if they identify with them, from Marvie's view, it's actually not really objectification because the men who relate to these guys are not sexualizing these protagonists. They relate to them and see them as a better version of themselves. Mm. The men are buff and are shown in super hyper-masculine shooting people, holding an AK-47. <laughs> Tackling them. Yeah. 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 Fighting, super muscular. Because that's what the guys watching them aspire to. They want that. Even when this muscular superhero is bare-chested in that, he's still the active controlling figure in the film. He still has agency and dimension, unlike the objectified women who serve as eye candy. I think of Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones, yes, had lots of strong women. But a lot of their men, too, were shown with bare chests and they were handsome men. But how many, like, female prostitute characters in Game of Thrones were just there to have their chests out, to have their butts out, and then disappear again? We also Mm -hmm. see how, in real life, the marketing of men towards men and men towards female, and we can think of Hugh Jackman. You can see that in male magazines, Hugh is dressed as Wolverine. He's bare-chested. He's ripped, and the title says "shredded," and he's like mm. really like aggressive-looking with his sharp claws. Mm. But then in women's magazines, Hugh smiles gently, wearing a simple <laughs> blue sweater. You know, it's just like it shows sort of the difference there about what the sort of marketing that appeals to which group is. I guess you could also say from that, because men are often portrayed in a certain way, not just for, well, you know, men want to relate to them. They aspire to be as buff and tough and (laughs) all sorts of ripped, just like they are. But I feel like the same way the male gaze works for men, female gaze kind of works similarly as well in the sense that we are so used to seeing our men in the media, you know, slender, tall or you know, like bugged or ripped, etc. And that suddenly becomes our 
our idea of like a standard that a man should meet. So even if we said that, yeah, most women don't mind the dad bod, etc. But you can't deny that there are certain women in the in society that would pretty much search for that mm. prince charming with you know. So yeah. I feel like the female gaze is actually really complicated in the sense that not only do we focus on the inside and how sweet and prince charming like they are, like emotionally, but on the outside as well. Mm-hmm. Hence the high standards. So oh, I yeah. do feel like the female gaze brings a lot, a lot of issues on the female audience as well. I don't know what you think about that, though, Brie. No, I I agree. Mm. When it comes down to a gaze. And if we're just looking at someone, their looks are always going to be paramount, right? Because gazing and looking and physical attractiveness is a massive thing. So you're right. It puts limitations on men. It puts, you know, really, how do I say this? It puts high expectations on men to look like Prince Charming. It puts high expectations on women to look like Megan Fox, to look like, yeah, yeah. It would be better maybe if we just left the gaze behind, but gazing is part of cinema because the act of looking, the act of looking on someone who cannot reciprocate that gaze is integral to cinema. Unfortunately, that's something that can't be taken away. Does it have to be sexual in nature? No, but it'll always be there, I think, as a part of cinema. So we talked earlier about how the female gaze has an effect on society as well as the psyche of some women. And interestingly enough, I, upon research, found a study published in 2020 by Xiao Meng Li um, about how she noticed that there has been a shift from the male gaze to the female gaze, especially in East Asian countries like Japan. South Korea and China. And this is something that I actually noticed, but I never really consciously thought about it. But in contemporary Chinese market, there's this culture called Nansi Xiaofei, which is the consumption of sexualized men in Chinese. Interestingly enough, nowadays, female cosmetic products often have male ambassadors or models rather than females. And you can just see how... It's come to the point where females are actually looking into sexualizing men or like the attractiveness of men in order for them to basically advertise products that are actually made for women, etc. I just thought that that was a really interesting crossover because you'd think that you would have female ambassadors rather than male ambassadors. I wonder if it'll be the same in sort of Western markets as well, if that's sort of shifting mm-hmm. as well, or if that's more of an Asian market thing. It'll be interesting to see. Mm-hmm. And I guess we will see in the following years, yeah. if that continues. So Mel, do you believe that we can have a film without the male or female gaze? Is it possible? <laughs> do you think it's possible at this point? So I was thinking about this for a couple of hours and honestly, I don't think I can mm. see a film without the male or female gaze because the industry knows this. Everyone knows this. Sex sells. Mm-hmm. right and it's not just the film industry that is highly aware of this but you get the music industry the business industry when it comes to marketing and advertisements in general it's the same for both the female and the male gaze you want to see 
attractive people and attractive angles, etc. So you want to see women in a whole different, in a whole bunch of different positions in order to market a certain comic or etc. To literally just line the attractiveness in line with the male gaze, and yeah, I literally can't see a film without either gaze, honestly. But I don't know. What do you think? I, I I honestly, as sad as it seems, kind of think the same. I just think attractiveness and sex appeal is so tied into the media, whether it be selling products or making films. Yeah, it's just like how every film, even if there's no romantic subplot, they'll find a way to add in a random romantic subplot, right? Or they'll find in a way to add in a love interest. It's just part of media it's something I think we all expect and just like as you said before like you are so used to seeing female superheroes in skin tight latex suits so am I I guess when I see a female superhero who isn't in that sort of suit I'm always like that's unique that's different Mm -hmm. so it's really ingrained in us I mean as you said we've been looking at this sort of media since we were kids and especially Mm -hmm. because the male gaze like is tied into just general cinema it's not even regulated to just chick flicks it's just in our mainstream cinema that we're all exposed to thank you guys for listening to the third episode of little miss media about the male gaze and female gaze we hope that you've learned a lot from this episode and you had somewhat of a fun time listening to us discuss another controversial or rather insightful topic as much as we did if you want to hear more from little miss media check us a follow on instagram you can see sneak peeks promos and some little extra added goodies Also, we would really appreciate if you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever you're listening to us on. Thank you for listening. We really enjoyed this discussion and we hope you did too. Bye.